Tesla is an electric car company in the US. On the 23rd of March 2020, the pre-stock split price per share was $87. Exactly one year later, 22nd of March 2021, it closed at $670 per share. A profit of $583 per share for you, a shareholder, for doing nothing in a year, forced to sit at home during a lockdown. If you'd bought 10 shares, that's $870 worth, you'd have $6,700 one year later. $8,700 investment would have been about 100 shares, meaning $67,000 a year later. All for doing nothing, sitting around doing diddly squat. All the hard work is done by Elon Musk and the employees at Tesla. They sell expensive cars to rich people. All you do is buy your Honda Civic and sit on this pile of cash. Now, naturally, we do not know if on the 21st of March 2022, that price will be $1,000 a share or $3,000 a share. So anyone buying at $670 a share could expect to see their investment treble. Of course, it can also go the other way. It can go to zero. If you had invested in BlackBerry, the Canadian smartphone maker in June of 1998, you would have picked up a share for $3.50 on the Toronto Stock Exchange. In March 2021, it was $13 a share. $350 invested in 1998 would have been $1,300 in March 2021. Unlike Tesla's 12 months, this happened in 24 years. Not as great a return, except for the fact that it got to $231 a share in August 2007. If you didn't sell then, you technically lost out. Worse, if you bought at $231 a share, then you've lost out even more. Of course, BlackBerry investors are lucky that this company is still a going concern. Many investors can lose everything. The stock or company can itself go bankrupt. Welcome to the world of stocks and shares. A stock exchange, a securities exchange or bourse is an exchange where stockbrokers and traders can buy and sell securities such as shares of stocks, bonds and other financial instruments. Every day, stock markets around the world open, make money and close. They also lose money and close. The big ones are the US stock markets, the NASDAQ and the NYSE. These two exchanges are by far the biggest by volume. The next is the TSE in Tokyo, then the London Stock Exchange. Rounding off the top five is the Shanghai Stock Exchange. How about some quick definitions? Stock, also capital stock, is one of the shares, is all of the shares into which ownership of a corporation is divided. A single share of the stock represents some kind of fractional ownership of the corporation in proportion to the total number of shares outstanding for that company. This typically entitles the shareholder to that fraction of the company's earnings, proceeds from liquidation of assets, voting power, etc. 
often dividing up in proportion to the amount of money each stockholder has invested. A person who owns a percentage of the stock has the ownership of the corporation proportional to their share. The shares form stock. The stock of a corporation is partitioned into shares, the total of which are stated in the time of the business formation. That also means that in the event of the collapse in the company, i.e. if it goes out of business, it is the shareholder that takes the biggest hit or biggest risk. You as the equity shareholder are the first to lose. So what's a security? A security is a tradable financial asset. The term commonly refers to any form of financial instrument, but its legal definition varies by jurisdiction, i.e. by country. In some countries and languages, people commonly use the term security to refer, refer to any form of financial instrument, even though the underlying legal and regulatory regime may not have such a broad definition. In certain jurisdictions or countries, the term specifically excludes financial instruments other than equities and fixed income instruments. Equities are your shares, fixed income is your bonds or debt. In other jurisdictions, it includes some instruments that are close to equities and fixed income, i.e. things like equity warrants. So what's a bond? A bond is an instrument of indebtedness of the bond issuer to the holders. The most common type of bonds include municipal bonds and corporate bonds. Government bonds are something that also exist. Bonds can be in mutual funds or can be in private investing where a person would give a loan to a company or the government. What's a dividend? A dividend is a distribution of the profits by a corporation to its shareholders. A public company. So what's a public company? It's a publicly traded company and publicly held company, a, public, a company listed on a stock exchange. So what is a unit trust? It is a form of collective investment constituted under a trust deed that is organized centrally. A unit trust pools investors' money into a single fund, which is managed by a fund manager who takes a fee for managing the fund. In the US, a similar-ish product is known as the ETF or Exchange Traded Fund. A derivative is a product whose value is derived from the value of one or more variable called bases or underlying assets. Derivatives can be used for several purposes, including insurance against price, price movements, i.e. hedging, increasing exposure to price movements for speculation, or getting access to otherwise hard-to-trade assets or markets. An IPO or initial public offering or stock market launch is a public offering in which shares of a company are sold to institutional investors and usually also includes retail or individual investors like you and I. An IPO is underwritten by one or more investment banks who also arrange for the shares to be listed on stock exchanges. These are the public companies you ultimately trade in. There are, of course, hundreds of other possible definitions and explanations onto what certain instruments and certain things regarding a stock exchange are, but I'm going to leave it at that and move on to the history of our stock exchanges. First, I'm going to make the bold statement that some form of stock trading happened in nascent forms, even in ancient times. 
but it was the arrival of mercantile colonial expansion that led to early evolution of the stock market as we know it today. The Amsterdam Stock Exchange is often considered the oldest modern securities market in the world. The Amsterdam Stock Exchange was established in the year 1602 by the Dutch East India Company for dealings in printed stocks and bonds. It was subsequently renamed the Amsterdam Bourse and was the first to formally begin trading in securities. The Dutch East India Company was a mega corporation founded by a government directed consolidation of several rival Dutch trading companies in the early 17th century. It was established on the 20th of March 1602 as a chartered company to trade with Mughal India in the early modern period, from which 50% of textiles and 80% of silks were imported, chiefly from Bengal. In addition, the company traded with Indianized Southeast Asian countries when the Dutch government granted it a 21-year monopoly on the Dutch spice trade. Most notably, this is today's present-day Indonesia. The company had two types of shareholders. Some who could be seen as non-managing members and the 60-75% to of people who acted as managing directors. This was the usual setup for Dutch joint stock companies at the time. The innovation in the case of the Dutch East India Company was that the liability was limited to the paid-in capital. The Dutch East India Company therefore was a limited liability company. Also, the capital would be permanent during the lifetime of the company. As a consequence, investors that wished to liquidate their interest in the interim could only do so by selling their shares to others on the Amsterdam Stock Exchange. If that sounds somewhat familiar, then it should. Even then, that was then. Since then, we have seen the rise and fall of colonies, the rise and fall of mercantile capitalism, the rise and rise of international trade, the rise and fall of communism, the rise of science and technology alongside the fall of gold as a commodity of last resort. Today's stock market in Amsterdam is not the same as the one in 1602. Why do we or companies need a stock market? Well, the stock market is one of the most important ways for companies to raise money along with debt markets, which are more publicly, more imposing, but often do not trade publicly. In short, it allows businesses to be publicly traded and raise additional financial capital for expansion by selling shares of ownership the company has in the public space. The liquidity that an exchange affords the investors enables their holders to sell securities quickly and easily. This is a very attractive feature of investing in stocks compared to other less liquid asset types such as property and other immovable assets. In other words, you can get in and out of a stock very quickly. History has shown that the price of stocks and other assets is an important part of the dynamics of, an econo of economic activity and can influence or be an indicator of social mood. An economy where the stock market is on the rise is supposed to be an up-and-coming economy. 
the flip can also be assumed. Some people argue that the stock market is often considered the primary indicator of a company or a country's economic strength and development. I'm not entirely convinced by this. Not all countries hold the stock market as a primary arena to graze or grow capital. If you are in a country with high interest rates, then there is more logic to put money into a bank account. It is safer there and you get a rate of return, a decent one, in that safety. You don't have to deal with the volatility of a stock market. You also have countries where culturally people save rather than spend. It's less consumer driven. Oh, and not everyone has institutionalized retirement savings as the foundation of its citizens' old age plans. Another stock market driver. Rising share prices tend to be associated with increased business investment and vice versa. Share prices also affect the wealth of households and their consumption. Therefore, central banks tend to keep an eye on the control and behavior of the stock market and in general on the smooth operations of financial systems functions. Stock exchanges also act as the clearinghouse for each transaction, meaning they collect and deliver the shares and guarantee payment to the seller of a security. This eliminates the risk to an individual buyer or seller that the counterparty could default on the transaction. It therefore makes it even easier for individuals like you and me and large institutions alike to get in and out of stocks quickly, efficiently, and very, very fast. You may or may not know about something called the EMH, the Efficient Market Hypotheses. It is a hypothesis in financial economics that states that asset prices reflect all variable information at the current time. This kind of bizarre belief that stock prices are an accurate reflection of the markets and efficient, in my view, is theory, not practice. Markets are not allowed to freely trade. They are heavily regulated by governments. People with the best information, largest portfolios, fastest technology, and biggest brands tend to do better than most individual retail investors. The efficient market hypothesis suggests that asset prices reflect all available information. A direct implication is that it is impossible, therefore, to, in inverted commas, beat the market consistently on a risk-adjusted basis since market prices should only react to the latest information. Again, it is hard for me to agree with this, not only for what I have stated already, but because human behavior is terribly irrational. So what do I mean by irrational behavior? Well, sometimes the market seems to react irrationally to economic or financial news, even if that news is likely to have no real effect on the fundamental value of the securities itself at a broad level or that individual stock at the micro level. Let's look at a few examples. Stock market crashes. A stock market crash is a sharp dip or a dive in shares, share prices of stocks listed in a stock exchange. In parallel with various other economic factors such as inflation or unemployment, a reason for stock market crashes is also due to the panic the public's and the public's loss of confidence in that economy at large. 
often stock market crashes and speculative economic bubbles before they form a brand new bubble. There have been famous stock market crashes that have ended in the losses of billions of dollars or pounds or whatever fiat currency of your choice, meaning wealth destruction on a massive scale. There have been several famous crashes, as I said, such as the Wall Street crash of 1929, the stock market crash of 1973-74, the Black Monday of 1987, the dot-com bubble of 2000, the stock market crash of 2008-2009, and the COVID lockdown crash of 2020. Then we have gone and created mechanisms to upend our own market efficiencies. This is when investing becomes good old-fashioned gambling rather than speculation. So here are some examples of that. Number one, short selling. In the case of short selling, a trader borrows stock, usually from their own brokerage, which holds its client's shares or shares on the count, then sells it on the market, betting that the price will fall. The trader eventually buys back the stock, making money if the price fell in the meantime and losing money if it rose. Exiting a short position by buying back the stock is called covering. This strategy may also be used by unscrupulous traders in illiquid or thinly trade markets to artificially lower the price of stocks. Sometimes this method is used by large hedge funds to bet against weak companies to bring them down. The only time I can think of a fight back was one example of GameStop, GameStop stock and AMC stock in the US in early 2021. Huge short positions were targeted by the so-called little guy using Wall Street Bets forum on social media app called Reddit. This coordinated attack by the little guy attacked large investors and super squeezed a bunch of high profile hedge funds who were squeezed painfully out of their short positions. These hedge funds were then forced to use their contacts in the government to force the retail brokers like Robin Hood to stop or limit trading in GameStop. Margin buying, that's another risky trick. In margin buying, the trader borrows money at interest, i.e. borrows money to buy a stock and hopes for it to rise. A margin call is made if the total value of the investor's account cannot support the loss of the trade. You could lose a lot of money if you use loaned money to buy stocks that go down and you cannot sell right away. My strong recommendation to you, the retail buyer seller, is do not do margin buying and do not do short selling. Stay vanilla, stay plain vanilla. Do not, do not go irrational. Charles Ponzi, 1882 to 1949, was an Italian swindler and con artist in the US and Canada. He promised clients a 50% profit within 45 days or 100% profit within 90 days by buying discounted postal reply coupons in other countries and redeeming them at face value in the US as a form of arbitrage. Ponzi was busy paying earlier investors 
using the investments of later investors. While this type of fraudulent investment scheme was not invented by him, it became so identified with him that it is now referred to as a Ponzi scheme. His scheme ran for over a year before it collapsed, costing his investors, or so-called investors, 20 million US dollars. That's 250 million as of 2020 money. Which begs the question, is the stock market a fraud? I do not think the stock market is a complete sham. I think it plays an important part in the microeconomic life of the economy and directly to individuals trying to grow their personal wealth. Although there have been big, often huge downturns or corrections of bubbles, in the, the general trend has been up. Why? In the US and other Western stock exchanges, increasingly in non-Western ones too, stock markets have again been just trending up. Why? Individual stocks may be up or down, but if you all you do is look at the entire stock market, look at the entire stock market's history, other than occasional dips, the trend is always up. Historical records show the trends go up. Often, governments, through their central banks, such as the Bank of England, intervene in the economy that impacts the stock markets, with often the aim of protecting investments, since so many retirement funds live in it. Think about it. A multi-year decline in prices would be a nightmare situation. We also have governments that could, did, intervene heavily in the stock markets or the markets generally during the 2008 to 2009 financial crisis and then again in the 2020 to 2021 COVID lockdown crisis. During 2008 to 2009, the EU and the US bailed out multiple banks and even car companies. Indeed, in the EU, entire countries were bailed out. In 2020 to 2021, the EU, US and UK bailed out smaller businesses and individuals, even in off-seasons, i.e. in good times when, other, when certain companies such as airlines start to fall out of fashion, the countries might go in and bail out those airline companies. So, to me, historical trends suggest that protecting the upward direction of stock markets is a national priority for many countries, especially those countries who rely on the stock market for their retirements. If I bought a stock, stock X, in 1980, and I keep buying each month, by 2030, when I retire, the original stock price may have gone up several thousand percent. If that stock is Apple or Microsoft, then wow, that's several thousand, thousand, thousand percent. That's a happy retirement. When I sell my fund or stock in 2030, it is assumed that it will be in a better position than it was 50 years earlier. Today is 2021, so we do not know about any pending crashes. Even if there was one, historical trends show that your price will still be higher than it was in 1980. So how is that possible? How is it possible that a stock can go up 100% so quickly? 
Look at Tesla stock. Tesla is a great company run by good people and Elon Musk is a genius, genius at free marketing. The products are outstanding and highly sought after. If $87 a share becomes $670 a share and then becomes $2,000 a share and then $3,000 a share heading to $5,000 a share, that is one amazing return. These market forces are created not just by the aforementioned forces, but also by people who are just buying and holding and not selling their stock. The online retailer Amazon is already in that position. To complicate all of this, keep in mind that when you now earn money, these days it is a digital currency. Your dollar or your pound or your euro or whatever that currency is, that fiat currency, is given to you as a digit into your bank account. That digital fiat currency is used to do many things, including paying bills and your rent. But that digit is also what you put into the stock market. You take that digit, you throw it into a stock. That digital $87 becomes a digital $5,000 when you retire. The stock market is not strictly a Ponzi scheme. Technically, yes, the investors of 2030 are the ones who are paying you off at $5,000 a share of Tesla in the hope that investors of 2080 will fund the $10,000 per share of Tesla return for those getting in at 2030 prices. Of course, cents may prevail and the stock for Tesla does not get to $10,000 per stock in 2080, or maybe it does, Elon is full of ideas and 10k stock is possible even by 2030, right? Or is it just a fantasy bubble? Well, to me, the entire stock market is a government-sponsored fairy tale kept alive by the wealthy elites for their benefit and then downstream our benefit. If you are open to putting a single digit of your hard-earned digital fiat currency into the stock market, then you are buying the bubble, i.e. legalized Ponzi scheme. Tesla may be speculative and investment. However, to squeeze short-selling hedge funds is a pure play gamble. The GameStop price hikes were gambles. That's a slot machine. Tesla is a speculation. Everything in the stock market is a speculation. So what do you do? Well, if you live in a country that throws its retirement into stocks, then you should know these 10 important things that are the drivers of the stock market. Number one, the government heavily regulates the markets. Number two, government will intervene to protect the stock market. Number three, some companies will not be allowed to fail. Banks are one of those companies. Number four, too many rich and powerful people have their wealth in stocks. Number five, barring a few blips, stocks trend upwards. Number six, population growth adds to stock price increases. Number seven, speculation leads to stock market increases. Number eight, irrational human behavior leads to stock market increases. Number nine, humans have an innate desire to constantly gamble. 
And number 10, the market is a legalized Ponzi scheme, technically legalized Ponzi scheme. So what are the risks? I'm going to list out 10 risks. It's number one, major natural catastrophic event could destroy the stock market. Number two, nuclear Armageddon, a global nuclear Armageddon could destroy the stock market. Number three, regional nuclear Armageddons could also destroy the stock market. Number four, a major regional conflict can destroy the stock market. Number five, a squeeze on commodity prices could also hit the stock market. Six, rising interest rates impact stock markets. Number seven, major cyber attack on the financial services industry will mess up the stock market. Number eight, a cyber hack into an exchange or major brokerage will screw up the stock market. Number nine, a run on a major global currency, in particular the US dollar, will mess up the stock market. And number 10, a decline in population will hit the stock market. If your retirement depends on the stock market, then you had better be throwing money into it and hoping the government and Elon, etc. do enough to get you a nice retirement. If, however, your bank and your government give you a massive return on investment just by putting your money into a bank account, therefore banking on the fact that there is less risk in putting money into a bank account, your portfolio should be less stock heavy and more savings heavy. The stock market was concocted to fund traders, maybe Dutch traders to be specific, but allowing investors to get a return on that investment is highly attractive to most people or many people, especially if you can sit at home doing nothing while that money grows. It's something of a passive income. Let them do all the work, I'll just sit it out. It was all speculation and gamble, one that paid off handsomely in 1602. In the over 400 years since then, stocks have gone on a rocket to the moon and then Mars. It's headed to Jupiter, then Pluto. As of March 2021, stocks are doing well. And I, and you, if it's 2021 you're listening in, should thank future investors for paying for our retirements. Thank you for your time. Please like, rate, and follow, subscribe to the Alternative History Podcast. Thank you.